Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, my name's Naisha from Birmingham, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, can you sneeze whilst you sleep? Okay, here comes the show. I remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, a.k.a. De Hizza. Hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. So we're talking everything from... We are talking everything from Naisha from Birmingham's question, can you sneeze whilst you sleep? Dane, do you have any answers uh, to this? Is that possible? We can look up the science if you need it. Yeah, I'm sure we can just look it up quite simply, but I imagine you can sleep, you can sneeze while sleeping. Uh, but I imagine, I mean, I imagine you probably wouldn't be sleeping much longer. Depending on who you are, I think if you're a heavy sleeper, you can sneeze and then get, carry on with it. Like babies tend to sneeze and then go back to sleep, right? So... I think you can yeah. still sneeze. The idea a sneeze is like so. I imagine a sneeze is when you have pathogens in your sinus cavity, then that stimulates the release of histamines in your bloodstream, mm-hmm. and then the histamines irritate your nose and the tissue there, which causes your nose to convulse and sneeze it out. So that's why we sneeze in the first place, right? Just to just just to give Naisha a clear answer. If you are sneezing in your sleep, it's quite likely that you're not deep asleep I think is the general rule of sneezing in your sleep you can sneeze in your sleep and you or, but if you are it may mean that you need to like you know dust your room or take it mm. before you go to sleep get that bedside table clean do you know what I mean get that bedside you table wipe, clean you wipe down and also maybe not spray too much like perfume and stuff that can also be an irritant so don't really spray anything that can annoy you because I mean the people because I've heard that you can like they say about on average is it 12 spiders a year or 4 spiders a year crawling inside of our mouths don't need that information yeah don't need that information I mean if I mean, if that if that can happen you definitely can sneeze because that's the first thing that's happening to any spider that crawls into my sinus cavity so well uh, Naisha other than giving you nightmares about spiders we hope you've answered your question and suffice to say we ask and answer all the questions on this podcast don't we Dave absolutely none of these questions are to be sneezed at I'm not sorry about that one, Howard. I'm not even sorry. (laughs) This is a Inquisition podcast, not a comedy one. Nice, funny too. And if you do like the comedy and the Inquisition on the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can see all of our very special guests hearing the questions that need to be asked. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a comedian and writer. He has appeared regularly at the Edinburgh Festival, winning the first ever panel prize and being nominated for Best Newcomer. Other awards include the Time Out Critics' Choice Award and the Barry Award nomination for Best Show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. He's also world-renowned for performing several marathon shows lasting 24 hours and more. He has written seven novels, including the 2020 release Contacts. His numerous TV appearances include Mock the Week, Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Have I Got News for You, Would I Lie to You, QI, Argumental, and Richard Osman's House of Games. And you can't see this, 
but he also got himself a real cool plant. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Watson. Uh, yes, thanks for having me. And to confirm to listeners, I have an immense plant behind me. Right, humble it's, yeah, it's vast. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's about half of my Zoom window. It just makes it look like I live in a, you know, a greenhouse or somewhere exotic. But it's really just a case of um, shoving a plant behind me to, to give that impression almost. It's great. It looks really good. It, look, it looks like you have taken a time out from your very nice secluded villa. We are writing a novel somewhere in the Caribbean to speak to lowly peasants like Howard and myself and our and our houses. That is how it, that is how I see you. Yeah, and I um. <laughs> I hope that in uh, in all my appearances on everything from now on, when they bring me on, they'll say, "And he's got a huge plant." Yeah, plant enthusiast. I'm going to add it to my official bio. <laughs> yeah, we didn't put that in because they're too late. Too late to change your bio. Yeah, but I'll put it on Twitter and stuff. I'll try and get the, some heat over this, you know, happening about this plant. Yeah, yeah. How are you finding Twitter, Jeremy? <laughs> okay. uh, you 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 skirt around it quite pleasantly, don't you? You have quite a lot of fun on it. It appears to me at times. More so. or less, I'm not as bold as someone like Dane, like wading into uh, arguments just because uh, <laughs> I haven't got the mental energy. For, as soon as people start to get properly at each other's throats on Twitter, I just like wander off, or as you say, just do a stupid tweet about toast or something. I see that as basically mm. uh, like in the terms of a, a dinner party, I'm the guy that just. Twitter-wise, that just says, right, anyway, what else should we talk about? <laughs> Someone has to do that. Someone's job is steerage, Mark. Someone's, job Someone's is got to reset it, exactly. Someone's exactly. job is steerage. Is, is, my, that could be on my, uh, on my gravestone, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of, <laughs> reminds me of my uh, in-laws who, um, when the conversation gets a bit dry, my father-in-law will tend to go, so how's your car running? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is such a great... I've got nothing to say about this subject. Let's my, move on. Um, my mum's one is that she loves it when I'm sort of very, even quite spuriously attached to more like properly famous people like Darren Brown of Matt Fusers or even Tim Minchin, he's a friend of mine. So if things start to go rocky, uh, you know, at the Watson's house, my mum will say, how's Tim Minchin? Or, <laughs> but sometimes it is people like Darren Brown that I've only ever met about three times in my life. If I ever meet anyone famous, even once in my life, my mum assumes that I've got the load on them for the next 50 years, apparently. <laughs> My mum does something very similar, does the same kind of comparison. Like when Marcus Rashford got an MBE, oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Rashford's made us all look pretty bad really over the past year. It's not a fair milestone. Yeah, because you can't even be like, yeah, I would do it too, but I was busy at the gym because he's also an athlete. So it's really, really frustrating. Yeah, that's the trouble. Not to talk him down, but he needs to either be a world-class footballer or be sort of uh, reforming public policy. Yeah, you've really got to... Leave something for the rest of us, yeah. Yeah, exactly that, because odds are he's going to finish doing this now. And do you know what it's going to take? Just one Christmas single, and then it's going to be another ruined year for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the uh, format of this show dictates? Absolutely. Uh, As our very esteemed guest, Mr. Mark Watson, we invite you to ask the first question, any question you'd like, no matter how big, small, highbrow, lowbrow, asinine, insightful that you would like, which we would discuss for 15 minutes doesn't change. And then Howard will ask another question in a very similar style, trying to bring steerage to the podcast. Howard will ask a question, which we will discuss for about 15 minutes doesn't change. And then lather, rinse, repeat, I will ask a question. And then we would like you to give a open and shameless plug about where our audience can find out about your many, many mm. good works. The floor is yours to ask our first question, please. 
All right. I like the fact that steerage has become a sort of subject of the uh, podcast, by the way. Uh, it's nice to have some... It's the only reason bit. I'm here. To yeah, here yes. well, as Dane says, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. We didn't know how much we needed it until you came on the podcast, and now we realise exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I've raised awareness. Um, well, my question is on the... On the bigger side of that kind of big, small, trivial spectrum, I suppose, which is, this is something that interests me. Do you think um, there was a time to be alive that was better than now? Or, or are we living in the best time um, to be human? Because obviously there, the world has enormous problems at the moment. But on the other hand, we live longer, broadly speaking, we're healthier. We've got loads of amazing technology and stuff that people didn't have in the past. You often hear people say it would have been better to live in medieval times and just have a simpler life. and But yeah, where I think people react differently. I've, I've had interviews where people have asked me if you could live in any time period, what would it be? And I'm pretty certain it is now because <laughs> there's, you know, but I, I, which is lucky because that's all we've got. But yeah, I'm interested in, in the question of do we, do we believe that any period of the past has actually been better to live in or, uh, you know, should we take this and be grateful? I know Dane's going to have a particular take on this, aren't you, Dane? Um, to, to an extent, but when you can take into account the entire expense of human history, like it's a much broader answer than you'd have thought, Howard. Because before, it's like when people say, mm. you know, you know, in the in the days of like the Roaring Twenties or the Fifties, everybody's happy. I'd be like, for people living under Jim Crow, they wouldn't have been very happy. Exactly. So, but then, but then we have to obviously acknowledge that there is a human history which precedes colonialism and precedes uh, what's referred to as Black history that would have mm. predated like recorded history. And based on the limit of records that are available, we can't honestly say that things would have been much worse back then. So I am, um, it, it's an interesting one because I'm kind of, a school, my biggest question I think I would have for people living in medieval times or the dark ages would have been, what's that smell? I find it very hard to go the time before like the availability of like, you know, uh, I guess municipal ir- irrigation systems in plumbing, um, yeah, mm. a, time, a time when before air fresheners and air conditioners and extractor fans, I'm not sure I would have been particularly uh, happy in that kind of time. Like, I am very, very partial to indoor plumbing and sanitation. <laughs> um, it's an interesting thing to focus on, Dane. Well, but he's got a point. If, if pleasant smelling environments are your thing, then it's true that most of human history is out, probably. <laughs> Well, yeah, pretty yeah. much. I feel like, by, by the same token, I feel like we've we're moving further and further away from that. In that, on the one hand, I guess we've built ourselves up. The fact that we can't know, we no longer see and smell our shit directly has maybe been the uh, catalyst for a lot of the apathy and stuff that we suffer from in our society. To nowadays, is that you know, because we don't have to see the work that's done in order to uh, you know get rid of our waste and our excesses. It's probably why we behave the way we do. I think if people knew what a landfill looked like, they'd probably be a bit more jurisprudent about their uh, the waste that they create. So that's interesting. So you reckon we, in a sense, we have it we have it too easy now, and that has instilled bad habits in us as a civilization. Yeah, I feel like a, a big. Although I, I agree with you to the extent that I like the idea that we live in the time of you know the the apex of human civilization and the gap between advances so small. That same framework, I think, has allowed for human beings to, when you think that we would be uh, evolving in the same positive correlation as our technology and society is, but I feel like we're actually evolving into becoming more simple, single-celled organisms, at least for where our consciousness is concerned, because, because we now do not have to observe 
all of the typical elements of social etiquette. Like we can do that online where we didn't have the gift of anonymity. We have the gift of mm. not having any, being in any physical threat, being able to cover our tracks. If we do air um, discursively, then that's allowed us to become a lot more apathetic about what our actions mm. and how our actions affect the people that we are speaking to through social media, for example. Um, so, you know, while social media should be a way of making the world smaller and more united, it's made us seem more divided and we've regressed to the integrity of a bathroom mirror in terms of our narrative on there. I think um, in a world where you can replace the military with drone strikes, then people are a lot more apathetic about the effects of, you know, conflict on, you know, other countries as well as the uh, effects on, you know, the belligerents in terms of like post-traumatic stress disorder and how that affects people that are involved in wars. Because we, again, can be detached from that. That's why you hear people saying stuff like, we need to bring back national service. And it comes from a population of people that have never actually served in a war. Um, so for me, I think that's the problem is that it's allowed us to regress that. Like if you think about how vitriolic people get on social media, for me, the only time I've seen people so uh, comfortable with the vilification of other human beings has been during the times when we would people would go and watch public hangings and floggings and people would go and watch people be hung, drawn and quartered. So I think even though we're now at the time of the height of technological advance, I think that's allowed us to almost regress back to being medieval. Or maybe we've kind of just, uh, it's allowed us to reveal who we always were in the first place because we have that anonymity. And Or it could just mm. be that the collective consciousness of humanity is still at a very young stage online in terms of how we exist and how we interact with artificial intelligence. So we maybe just be living in the medieval period of our digital times. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. There's definitely a sense that technology, obviously, at every stage, technology moves and develops faster than the human brain can. But that, at the moment, is a particularly major issue because technology's yeah. growth at the moment is astonishingly fast and exponential, I suppose. It's because of artificial intelligence and stuff, tech is now starting to feed on itself. And there's no way our brains can regenerate as fast as that. So as Dane says, it might be that we need to go undergo a new sort of another stage of human evolution if we've got any chance yeah there's definitely a few examples of that that spring to mind for me i mean tiktok to me is the fucking end of this like medieval technology period like no offense to all those people out here loving tiktok and you know uploading content and making money out of it like sure like do what you need to do i just can't believe that 15 seconds of your brain time is the kind of uh an ev- a positive evolution of our minds really um, but Dane, you might <laughs> you might disagree with me. I don't know. I don't know TikTok's recently. I think they just banned it in India a couple of days ago. Actually, so India have now officially banned TikTok for its amoral oh, really? content as an app. Yeah, I just think really TikTok is probably. I think it's the cusp of again being the next stage in terms of um, bridging that gap between the human consciousness and artificial intelligence. Because the way TikTok works is that it's like it's not really there's no real through line or any kind of thread or structural thread. It's just like a survey. So you just get video suggested to you and mm-hmm. then your phone is, your phone is telling the app how you're reacting to it and allowing you to form an algorithm. And I think, yeah, that's the thing is that there is a, there's obviously a, a synchronicity between the human consciousness and algorithm that we're trying to find, but it's just mm-hmm. how that be, as how that's being used. And unfortunately for now, we just know it's been used for capital gain. But I could go deeper. I could go deeper into the whole medieval technology thing of this era. In the how often do you how often do you use a toilet, right? And the person who has used it hasn't cleaned it. Like 
I, I've noticed that so often in life. It's not just in my own house. I'm not just blaming my wife for yeah. this, obviously. Yeah, because you like, could do this in your own time if that was what you were But people don't, like, there's very clear ways to clean the toilet for the next person. People are so rubbish at doing it. It kind of amazes me. You've got a lovely, this eloquent thing the toilet is <laughs> to kind of offer yeah. you a service for your bodily functions that were once strewn across, you know, anywhere you could put them, right? And we still just can't be asked to treat it well. Treat your toilets well, people. Well, it's, it's, it's exactly, it's accountability uh, at the end of the day. And I think that's the thing with technology and giving over power is that it, uh, you have you can avoid accountability, which comes from any kind of comfort you observe in life anyway. It's like in the same way, if your preoccupations are not with being able to eat every day and have water every day, then you probably have the time and have the breath to consider stuff like, do I want to eat meat or not eat meat? Or do I want to eat the product of animals? Mm. So that's, it's not really a privilege for anybody, everyone at the same time. So when I think uh, about the best time that would have been alive, I think the time before human beings had a concept of both uh, ownership and I think a time before they had a, con- a concept of what they considered to be beauty. I think mm. the things like image in terms of like, ego and and yeah and uh see i i just instantly plump for the 60s dane uh, <laughs> and 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 i'll tell you why it, it, it it's just so there was a period after this the 60s and if it could be specific you know i'd probably be in either kind of you know london or or or, or kind of california uh really just because the 60s offered a sense of freedom and a sense of kind of we that we can better our world there was an optimism then right before cocaine took hold of everyone in the 70s and for the 60s the the smallest thing for me it was like a small thing i think it would have been our understanding of our understanding of capitalism or would have probably could have stood to be improved in the 60s but the only thing the 60s is a good time but the only thing i would say howard is a birth control technology <laughs> probably could have been a little bit better at the time i probably but, wouldn't have been as prolific as you though dana you would you would have been you would have had more action than me oh, no no I, I just mean not just necessarily but you know thalidomine is the oh well that wasn't birth trouble it was for morning sickness wasn't it mm. so yeah maybe need to work on that i would say in the 60s um, i just think the music imagine imagine going through you know i often think about this with music and how there's a couple of academics who suggest that 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 there is you know not necessarily as clear an identity uh, mm-hmm. to what this era is and what music is produced now. Whereas in the 60s, it was such a, you know, whether you're looking at kind of Motown or you're looking at, you know, the kind of movements that came out of San Francisco or, you know, what what was coming out of Britain. It was such an amazing time to... Mark, did you... Did you, you uh, could I tempt you back to the 60s with me? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I often wonder how much it did feel like that if you were in the 60s, you know, and there's no way of knowing. You're right that for a start, to enjoy the 60s properly, you'd want to be in one of these hubs of creativity, like mm. in like London or West Coast, or you know, America maybe, rather because, um, you know, I think if you spoke to my parents, they'd say the 60s were, as far as I can remember, quite a bit like the 50s, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> a time relatively austere time. of. Um, but if you were in the thick of a period like that, and you were part of a movement like that. I don't know. I mean, I reckon, the, I think I might have found it quite kind of, at the time, all quite threatening. I, I like watching stuff in the 60s and 70s where there were these, uh, you know, people experimenting with, for, that's, that's a good, that's a good uh, um, kind of reference point, actually. Like, I, in theory, I love the idea of expanding my consciousness and being there in the 60s when everyone was doing absolutely all sorts of stuff to their brains and 
But in reality, I've never done acid, for example, in, in this uh, lifetime mm. or anything or any drugs other than just like marijuana and stuff and not even that for quite a while. So I like boozing, but that's because I sort of know what that's going to do to me. So I suppose what I'm saying is if I'd been there in the 60s, I probably would have been the one going, nah, I don't know. I, I think I'll, I'll just I'll walk home, have, actually. I'll just have a pint. Yeah, I'll just yeah. have a pint. <laughs> I think I might well have wasted most of the opportunities. <laughs> um, it does certainly feel as if it would have been pretty exciting to live in a period where, if you were in the right place at the right time, there was this outpouring of shared ideas and, as mm. you say, a rejection of the miseries of the early part of the century and this kind of backlash against all that. So there would have been a lot of excitement to being in the 60s. And I suppose, like with all human history, it depends what you're up to, as Dane touched on. If you were the right type of person and had the, those opportunities in the 60s, it, it probably... I, I've been um, I've been watching something uh, on my girlfriend. I've been watching something on Apple TV, which we've only just recently... I don't... I think we've got a free trial of it. or I, I don't know how... Oh, yeah. Everyone's it. only watching it because we've got a free trial. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's bought Apple I'm TV. Yeah. Sometimes I don't have Prem. Who knows with Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one uh, no one has yet paid for any of these services. We're just perpetually in offers. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll end up being absolutely... Uh, this thing is about the moon. Uh, I've the watched space, it. The space. Have you? So for all mankind. I, th- I thought it was absolutely fascinating alternative reality it's dramas. Yeah. riveting, isn't it? And see, that I do find quite seductive. I've always been really interested in the moon landings and the, the space race. And I think it's because I what attracts me about that is that late 60s utopianism. Like, we're pushing back the frontiers of civilization. If, mm. if I could return to the, the very late 60s and to the hype around we're going to make the, it sounds kind of empty now, but this idea mm. at the time that we were going to make our own world better by exploring what was out there. I think I'd have really loved that. I'd have loved to live in that 10 or so year period where it must've felt like humanity was entering a, a distinct mm. phase from anything ever before. I'd have loved to, to be part of actually watching man on the moon and not just the moment, but the, the mystique, the idea of like, this is, mm. this is just the start for a new conscious. And of course, 50, 60 years on, you look back and think, Glamorous as it all still is, you sort of wonder how much we achieve, really, by yeah. going on. Well, moon. now we're just trying to dig out some water on Mars. That's how far we've made it, you know? Yeah, in that series, they're already talking optimistically about Mars and yeah. establishing worlds up there. And that must have been properly exciting. I'd have liked that bit of the 60s, the sense that civilization was on the precipice of something truly dramatic and exciting. Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it, Dane? You, you kind of landed on any time that you particularly fancied. I know you mentioned somewhere before beauty and uh, possession was... Uh, I would have liked, been, liked to have been around a time maybe when the pyramids were actually new, when they were still had the gold caps on the top of them. I yeah. Like, sort of like, yeah. And then another point where I've heard Indigenous Australians saying something about when uh, our ancestors did not have a concept of ownership. Yeah. I really feel like at first I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But then when I thought about it, I was like, no, I understand exactly why as a concept for a social species that makes complete sense. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, um, mm. that some, yeah. somewhere around there, I think it would have been, been interesting. It started to go wrong when some bloke picked up a piece of wood and said, this is mine, actually. <laughs> you can't have this. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a very, very good question, wasn't it, Dane? We like that question a lot. Nice uh, kind of theoretical thing for us to scratch our heads with, eh? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask a question that is a little uh, tangent uh, away from this. Uh, probably getting uh, a bit personal, but not so personal that it's awkward. Um Mr. Mark Watson, you, you've done many things in your life and um, you will be remembered for many things. But I would you know, suggest that completing 24-hour comedy gigs 
will will certainly be one of the most memorable things of. Uh, I'm sure it was the most, one of the most memorable things you achieved. No, uh, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I doubt I'll. It's certainly the thing that people ask me about most. Yeah. So unless I can find an even more stupid thing to do in, <laughs> in the remainder of my life, it probably will go down as my legacy. Yeah, the only comedian to be on fire for a whole show. It's, no, that's the <laughs> no. thing. I, so sometimes you have to ask whether it is worth becoming a talking point. <laughs> but my question was going to be, uh, as a man who has shown in, in, in insane endurance uh, and, and you know major props for that like insane endurance as a comedian on stage i ask you both what things in life do you have no endurance for because uh, i often look at things in life and i'm just so i've got i've just got no ability to, <laughs> to tolerate them um for any period of time well one thing i'm not very good at um enduring is and this this sort of partly explains why i do the 24 hour shows probably psychologically is i I don't i can't really stand um periods of uh inactivity i don't like being i don't like doing nothing so in in this in the pandemic for example i've still continued to be as active as like have projects um i've gone for long runs i'm just i'm in almost perpetual motion i find it very difficult to just to just let time pass. I'm not, I don't think it's a good character trait necessarily because a lot of people talk about the importance of, you know, living in the moment, uh, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, that being utterly present in every moment of consciousness. My brain doesn't necessarily work like that very well. I have, so I have very little, you know, people often talk as if I've got a lot of kind of stamina and, uh, I'm, or, you know, perennially, juggling different projects and things like that. And all of this is true, but it's more like, it's almost a pathology. It's a restless brain, basically. So yeah, the main thing I can't endure is not having anything to be to be doing. <laughs> so if you just, if I just asked you just to sit down and just look out the window, not move for a couple of hours, you just, it's, that's your worst night. You're not, I would you're not resent it. <laughs> I suppose that, well, I'd, I'd do it and I would probably benefit from it, but I would find it really difficult to switch my brain off. Every time I've tried to do uh, meditation or any of these things that require you to enter a, a completely blank, neutral state of mind, I don't mm. find that very easy. Really, For example, sometimes on a plane, um, obviously there's people that you, there's millions of films to watch now, or you can read a book or you can, uh, I sometimes work, I sometimes write on planes, but uh, you will sometimes be on uh, like an 11 hour plane journey with someone and all they do is just sit and stare ahead that, you know, they're able to not be stimulated in any way. So I, they might be thinking about really interesting stuff, but even on a train, sometimes I see people, someone on a train just staring off into the middle distance, unmoving for hours at a time. And I don't know whether I envy that sort of Zen like ability or whether I think, Come on, mate. Do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucking weird, isn't it, when you see that? I mean, I obviously haven't been on trains or done any of that for ages, but you kind of... Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about it because it's nice to hark back to the days of transport. <laughs> yeah. But it is a weird thing to be kind of like content just doing... You know, when you talk to someone... I mean, I know you go and work in an office in the same way that a lot of us do, but, you know, kind of, what do you do at the weekend? And they'll be like, uh, nothing. What, really? You did nothing? What the fuck were you doing all weekend? And that, that is, a, that is you know, obviously no one was actually doing nothing, but sometimes people will talk delightedly about how, and it's difficult this because I know that my, my partner and I work probably too hard and we're doing too much stuff and there's loads to be said for just taking it easy. But it is true. When you'll sometimes see people tweet going, like, I've just got up, it's two in the afternoon, uh, I might have some cereal, 
and that that'll be pretty much be me for today. And I just can't I can't live like that. I have to yeah. I have to fill it with stuff, you know. Yeah, Dane, where do you stand on, on on endurance? What 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 do you struggle to endure? I think that's a really good one. It's a really good question, actually, um, because it doing is. nothing is a, doing nothing is a yeah, it's a tough one. Being idle. I think is a very difficult one, and uh, but I think what can I understand? Uh, do you beat well, yourself up about it if you do it? Because it sounds like Mark is physically incapable of of doing nothing. I, I think we, a lot of us are capable of doing nothing, but we know we should be doing something. Well, it's it's working you, out what nothing is because what, nothing nothing can be like being idle. Whereas sometimes just having the time to be um, pensive or you know meditation or just actually doing reflective can be massively useful even though it doesn't afford involve any kind of physical physical exertion exertion but yeah. you're not doing anything i think i mean so, if, yeah. you, if you take something like the i'll give you an example of when i when i did the differences between those two things is if mark said to me tonight he's going to watch two episodes of the fresh prince of bel-air i'd be like cool man like, i love that show too like you should watch it it's great whereas if he said to me oh do you know what i did this morning i watched 17 episodes of the fresh prince of bel-air i'd be like I'm not sure that's the best use of your time, really. You probably can offer the world more than you just watching those episodes, but yeah, having having reset moments where you're just you're letting your brain just do almost nothing is valuable, I think. Whereas, as you say, 17 hours of TV because you can't face other aspects of life, less so maybe. Yeah, definitely. I am. I, I, um, I would say, and I think, and I think this probably become a lot probably a lot more a lot worse since I started doing work using Twitter and social media is I really don't like in the face of factual evidence when people are not able to concede like I'm not sure mm. if that in in terms of like and then I think there is, there is some very standard nomenclature and uh speech patterns that you hear on social media in terms of people alluding to free speech and opinions and other stuff so I think, yeah, I really can't endure this new uh, discourse that's based on opinions. I can't handle opinions, basically. Yeah. So Twitter's <laughs> not a great place to be, probably. No, it's not a great place to be. I don't like opinions. You know, people say opinions are like assholes because everyone's got one. And they also, to me, contain traces of shit and mm. really are only suitable to have been inhaled by people that know who you are and have that context. And people that tend to offer them up so freely when they're in prison, that's for sure. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, I just it's, 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 because it's been so much more prominence. And I think now you look, as I said, about this whole phenomenon of uh, artificial intelligence being like at a medieval stage in that I feel you can look at how democracy plays out on social media and understand why we unfortunately live under aristocracy. Because once everyone gets to speak, you will see not everyone needs to speak because not everybody is doing something of value. And, you know, I would like to believe I'm a socialist or, you know, very liberal in terms of, you know, the eligibility for anybody to speak. But people's opinions that aren't very useful or which have no factual or scientific basis, I think we need to start clamping down on opinions. And they need to return to the same, because they, because opinions are being considered at the same status as uh, facts. And we need to return to a time when opinions go back to their subjective nature, because you know, I am able to, the kind of person who tends to derive self-esteem and. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Discursive power from saying I'm entitled to my opinion and tends to voice that, tends to be the kind of person who is not who was not known in any a- academic institution for volunteering said opinion. And I think that's the problem with social media for a large part of it is that it's, it's, it's largely filled a lot of people who are being given the privilege of democracy but have never really learned how to um, work within a political framework or to act correctly. If you hear someone too often say, I'm entitled to my opinion, you have to ask, why do people keep saying you're not entitled to it? Is it because you you don't know anything? (laughs) That's someone that's been told to shut the fuck up a few times. Exactly, because they were talking shit. Yeah, well, you never put up your hand to answer a question, so that's why you need to shut the fuck up. Mm. It tends to be that kind of person, a person that kind of says, I'm entitled to my opinion, which again doesn't mean my opinion is valid. It just means I have to be heard because people are speaking. And I just think there was probably a paradigm of human discourse that happened many, many years ago where everyone would be like, I think I should contribute something as well. And at some point they were like, for the last time, the earth revolves around the sun. And so if you're not going to say that, then you need to shut the fuck up. And that is facilitated by the fact, or I think that's backed by the fact that now, you, in 2021, there are still people that say the earth is flat using a mobile phone with an app that is powered by a satellite to tell the world that the earth is flat. And I just think, you know. But maybe the, maybe it's not powered like that, Dane. Maybe phones are magic. Have you thought about that? I have thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it, Mark, but that's just my opinion. And there is, an, there is an abundance of information that I can go to research that in order for me to prove the existence of and the efficacy of said telecommunications magic. And up until now, doesn't it, there's, no, there's been no conclusive proof that magic can be used to facilitate phone calls. And so for the time being, I'm still going to say at the very least it's going to be 5G, which I guess is like magic to some. I feel like I'm being silenced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being heard. Well, you know, there may be a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. there, there was a time when, you know, we'd have to be a certain level of qualification that is required people to volunteer their opinion you know one of them being the wisdom of experience so you know children will have the opinion and they will give their thought on it on, on something 
but because they don't have the wisdom of experience, they may not know it, what's good for them. This is why we have the distinction of adult and child in terms of the ideas of accountability and responsibility. Because like, if you say to a bunch of kids, like on a bus or school bus, what do you kids want for your dinner? They'll be like, I don't know, birthday cake with some fries. But it's like, you can't have that, you fucking idiots. You need to have vegetables. They don't know that. but That's good parenting. Yeah. Yeah, it's just good parenting. Um, but you're right. The, the, the sort of... Uh, We've seen a massive democratization of opinion in the past 20 years, basically. Social media has meant that anyone can air anything. And we need to start accepting that, as Dane says, not everyone should, though. And we need to have better filters for how we handle that because it seemed like progress when everyone in the world could be talking at the same time. But, um, yeah, it definitely isn't. It's, I mean, democracy used to rely on the idea that you had elected leaders exactly. to, to stand in for us as the people now uh, a billion people are all talking simultaneously it, it makes democracy itself unworkable but it also makes pretty much everything unworkable yeah and if you, if you look at and if you're looking at countries whereby you know the united states where one in five people are functionally illiterate and can't read the uh, medication instructions on their own medication <laughs> yeah 75 uh, of people don't own a passport in the UK, you know, we don't have a 100% literacy either, considering it's one of the most spoken languages on the planet. I just think if you are not uh, speaking from a perspective whereby this, uh, that uh, base of, of, I guess, of that democratic base doesn't have all of the facts, then it's like, I don't really think that see any need in engaging in discourse. I think at the very least, you know, I'm not somebody that's like into cancel culture or worry about censorship, but very much the opposite. I think there should be a lot more... Uh, explicitness in the exchange of ideas so if you want to be someone that wants to i think if somebody wants to enter into a thread which might be discussing a taboo or contentious subject i think you should have to give uh your identification in order for you to be involved in that conversation like you would you know in real life if you were involved in a, in a heated debate at a uh, speaker's corner in hyde park you still have to be there you couldn't really have a conversation with a balaclava on or hide who you are or you know yeah or do like the mass singer so you'd have to actually give an account of yourself. I think there should be some kind of digital yeah. accountability as well as personal. So, we, so we've had so we've had doing so we've had doing nothing and opinions, which are, are two very good examples of things that people don't have endurance for. Yeah, and I think Dane's right. The the, way, the concept of the masked singer, uh, singer isn't one that we can easily export to other areas of public life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and even that was weird because at the end the winner was a a sing was a Josh Stone who's like a really good singer, and yeah. I was yeah, like, they- I don't understand what the yeah, I thought I, that really funny. I, I, the clue yeah. is look yeah. for someone who'd be able to sing really well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So if you, the masked singer, my guess is that someone who can sing was going to win a singing competition. And yeah, and sure yeah. enough, after 19 weeks of it, that is the that is the yeah. answer. It's almost like it was. It's almost like it was a fucking nonsense, isn't it? But there you go. Don't don't, don't I mean, mind me. It might work for some people, but I think the reason why I, I reference the masked singer is because I think that has you know, and that kind of format of television entertainment whereby people have the power to judge and people have the power to scrutinize in the form of like X factor and pop idol and the like mm. it's given people this idea that any opinion that they volunteer is valid and will be validated because mm. they, you know, people can say, and I think it's the medium in which we now realize opinions that people think it's a lot more valid than it used to be. Like we'd hear about people getting hate mail and stuff, but because we never saw it or we was never privy to reading it ourselves, probably didn't appreciate the severity of it. And also like hate mail only has a power it has. If you open it, unless it, you know, it's laced with anthrax or something. You mm. already know about, you know, people's intended sentiment towards you unless you actually entertain it. And obviously being that it's a lot more democratic on social mm. media, unless you're blocked or you limit who can see your, your, your tweets and the like, you can be some vitriol. 
I've got to say, I haven't, I haven't thought about anthrax for years. That was yeah. like a that was a blast from the past. Nice throwback. <laughs> throwback. Um, yeah. Simpler world then. But that, I think, but I think you know, you could even argue that something like an anthrax scare is the kind of thing that would incentivize people to not use letters to write down their true thoughts and feelings because they'd be afraid, which again limits the the spectrum for discussion that we have. That, mm. that's, that's the other problem with social media is that it's a quasi newspeak where you're a lot mm. of your thoughts and feelings are reduced to emojis or reduced to abbreviations or acronyms. And that can also be problematic as well, because, you know, you lack the uh, amount of, of, of verbiage to kind of make a point necessarily, like just trying to make a profound point in 280 characters. It's always going to be somewhat limiting. And there's going to be some things that are lost in translation, particularly where you have a language that is known for having a lot of mongrel terms and mongrel words and a lot of uh, idiomatic mm. phrases that some people may not be able to understand. Or, you know, if you think about commentary in the UK, culturally is always going to be infused with some element of satire or sarcasm, especially observations about society. If you are broadcasting that to a populace globally who doesn't really understand the nuance of satire mm. or how to, that's conveyed in tone, then, um, yeah. You're going to have some problems. There are some miscommunication problems. And that's, that's, how, that's how I think why I say that it's hard to endure opinions because the uh, democratic aspect of it means that people can volunteer them without being subject to researching their points, without having to consider other people they're speaking to. So I think with normal discourse, you can have contentious opinions, but we're all aware of a social etiquette that is involved with, um, you know, relaying those opinions. I can say stuff to piss people off, but if I say it in the wrong room with people that can beat me the fuck up, then I probably, <laughs> I'd probably be a lot more considered and how I deliver my um, incendiary terms. A very, uh, a very good point. And um, and before we move on to um, to Dane's question for today, uh, I was going to reveal that the thing that I can't endure is filling in uh, forms. Uh, I seem completely incapable of doing that. Mark, I don't know if you suffer from this or not, but I am fucking awful at it. Uh, one minor I, problem I have with filling out forms is that I often misjudge the number of, you know, you have to write your name in little boxes and stuff like that. I'm quite bad judge of space. I never leave enough room uh, for things like that. But um, I have to say, yeah, my worst part of filling out forms is signing contracts and other stuff that involves printing out and scanning. And uh, uh, just over the past year or so, people have started to use things like DocuSign where you can just click on three things yeah. and the document seems. But I must say, I hope that continues because... If we if we can outlive the age of printing and scanning things, that really would be a major time saver for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Save some trees too, as well. Yeah, win win. Yeah, yeah. but we had a, we had a good mix of things there. We had we had, we had we had form filling in, which I genuinely have a fucking. I just I feel like I've got like a just a, a bit of me missing that is just incapable of doing it without having a meltdown. You like me, Howard? You're an adminophobe. Oh, I just honestly, Dane, you should watch. It's embarrassing. It's getting to the point that it's embarrassing. I have to get people at work to help me with this stuff now. It's embarrassing. Anyway, but delegate. we had that. Delegate. That's what you got to Delegate. Do. Exactly. Delegate. Good point. But we had, we had, we had that opinions. And we also had Mark's lovely uh, point about not being able to sit still. Um, so it's over to Dane uh, for the final question of today's show with the wonderful Mark Watson. Yes, indeed. Um, my question actually was a kind of ties to the first question, really, but I think it's a bit more nuanced. Whereby, um, obviously, Mark, you have, have been able to enjoy a nice, substantial, deserved success across the Atlantic and the Pacific alike, as well as uh, you know uh, being able to use comedy as a springboard into other elements of your creativity. And I wanted to ask you, based on that, are there is there a golden period of comedy that you think you may have thrived in at the most? 
or you think you're looking hmm. forward to it? Or is there a time you're like, I wish I was on the circuit then? Or you feel like you missed out? Because sometimes, and I think this is probably a transgenerational thing where I sometimes think, oh, man, I wish I was doing junglers when they, you could get a mortgage off the back of it, but then that might be more <laughs> issue. But yeah. Yeah. The, the, the short answer is we could both name times when we would have made more money uh, from comedy without putting much effort in. <laughs> um, but it's interesting this because for a start, we, we've dwelt upon TikTok and stuff like that uh, a little bit. I definitely do feel now that I can already see um, a generation of comedy and comedians coming in, which I'm going to struggle to relate to. I'm not very tech uh, tech savvy, really. I, I do do stuff like Twitter and things. I'm not phobic about it. But as comedy becomes more and more and more short form, I do, as we've heard, I'm more of a 24 hours man, really. 15 <laughs> seconds is not, not my thing. Um, and... I've def- and I'm a bit the same with, you know, I, I like big, long projects. I like, uh, you know, I write novels. I, I like things that pay off over a long period of time. So it's it's been weird for me over the past 10 years or so to see people increasingly uh, migrate towards, you know, like in, instead of a TV show, it's maybe a 20-minute YouTube video. Wow. Then it's a, a, a one-minute thing people have put on Twitter or Instagram and some people are amazing at that format. Now, as we've said, uh, comedy gets served up in 15-second mm. bites sometimes. Uh, my son is 11, and he's just got into stuff like TikTok. And recently, he showed me a TikTok, a comedy TikTok, which was a girl. Uh, the, the conceit was how your mum is with the teacher versus how she is with you. And it was the mum ringing the school. The son is sick, and the mum is going, oh, I'll come in straight away and pick him up. Oh, dear. Oh, thanks for looking after him. And then the son gets on, and the mum is like, you better be early, little prick. It was that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the sort of thing that, for me on Dame, would be a very, very brief observation in a stand-up show. Like, we would get 30 seconds out of that. Um, Pretty much. It'd be the yes and. <laughs> it, it would be the yes and. But this this woman had put it up there, and it had, you know, 900,000 likes or something. And I did have this strong sense that, uh, there was an audience out there for comedy that I would just not ever be able to access. But all this said, and this is a bit different for Dane. I, I probably, in some ways, I've, I've always admitted that I actually did come through a really lucky time because between about 2005 and 10, there was, there was a real fad for um, like well-educated, fairly posh white guys. And mm-hmm. there was a load of us like me. Well, Russell Howard's not posh, but like people like me, nice boys like me, Russell Howard, Russell Kane, Jason Manford, uh-huh. I suppose Rod Gilbert, all of us came through at the same time and uh-huh. you could really do well in Edinburgh and the clubs were still. So I suppose what I'm saying is I, 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 can't, I can't have too many complaints because I feel like I did, I, I was the first five or 10 years of my career, I was really, really lucky that the, the conditions were just perfect for someone like me to survive. Uh-huh. But I would say that I am slightly scared about what the, what the future of comedy holds just for someone like me. If anything, because I, you know, part of what I do is writing and stuff like that. I sometimes think I'd have been better off artistically in uh, like the thirties when there was a massive book reading public and people would, if someone had written a novel like Virginia Woolf or something, it would be the talk of the country. And I wouldn't have minded living in a time when you could spend five years creating something and everyone talked about it rather than the time like now when you only have to spend 20 seconds talking about it, uh, making it, you know, I think I probably, if, if there was a different period I could have been good in artistically, creatively, it would have been a time when you got more rewards for doing long, boring, difficult stuff. <laughs> yeah. well, it was, it was, I guess it was always immersive as well because people weren't, weren't as prone to the same amount of uh, distractions. So there was a time where you yeah. would be the breadth to write a novel because once the ones that was produced, 
people wouldn't have the same amount of distractions they would have so they could immerse themselves in reading a novel. Whereas, 100%, yeah. We live in a time of flights are arguably quicker, where you can take, instead of going to Europe on like a train or driving to Europe by the tunnel, you can get to continental Europe in an hour. So that's slowed down the time of reading between that time and stuff as well, which is why even with literature, probably some things, there's probably this literature now, which is orientated around editorially, just around how long a flight takes, as opposed to like, you know, even a real message, there's like some people might be writing right. literature, like this is, this is something that you read by your sun lounger when you're in um, the Valerics kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. The airport novel is a whole, you know, a whole genre, a whole thing based on the the knowledge that people want to pick up a book at the airport that's about 200 pages long. And as you say, plow through it on the plane and then save a bit for the pool. Whereas when Dickens was writing and those guys, you could write 900 yeah. pages because everyone was going to bed at eight o'clock with a candle and they're literally nothing else they could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's, in, day, in days where it was like, you know, you could you have a secret family because it took a month to travel between the countries so you would need another family just between destinations is probably a lot easier then it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, i'm the same as you that it's like uh, now when you're looking at the evolution of the art form and how how rigid the kind of status of a comic remains i think it's changing significantly whereby as you said it's like i see things on social media where it's like someone just watches somebody else react like re- react, reacting to a video i find it's very interesting that like you know people are building followings by because people want to see how that person reacts to something they've seen. And I just think, what's the basis for that? Is it that people want to be like, well, my reaction wasn't like that, but now I know that my reaction was initially incorrect, so now I have to change it accordingly? Is that how it's supposed to work? So I find it quite a phenomenon. Yeah, I agree. The phenomenon of watching people who are just watching something else is something that I don't think I would have anticipated. Again, because I've got an 11-year-old, I get a window into this. He showed me a bloke once... um, he said, this guy's one of the biggest YouTubers in the world. He, he reeled off all these stats, like oh, 20 million followers. He makes a million quid a year just off sponsorship. And all the guy was doing was watching one of those sports bloopers montages and just going, oh, bloody hell, Dad, oh, that's going to hurt. And I thought, Danny oh, Baker, are you sure it's not it, Danny Baker? It, it might as well have been Danny Baker in the modern day. And I did sort of think, no disrespect to this guy, he's found something, but it wasn't clear to me what what he was offering to the world that didn't really have, yeah. It's really interesting to see that people are enthused by someone's reaction to opening gifts and stuff. And then, and again, I, yeah. I wonder, is that, does that come down to the fact that our digital presence has afforded us all this information that we've, we've become so detached that just seeing a human, uh, we're so desperate for human interaction and just observing it as a phenomenon, that just seeing someone, how they react like a human being something for us, we're like, Oh, that's what I want to see. That, that's why I want to have the connection. Because, yeah. But you think about it in terms of Gogglebox is kind of quite interesting because Gogglebox, I think, offers people in a very constructive way an analysis of the week's television. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it's also kind of not the most highbrow concept and the most highbrow content, but you are getting you are getting a sense of what has happened this week, which, I, you know, offers it. Isn't the purpose of, of Gogglebox that it's basically almost TV advertorial? Yeah, well, and, 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 but I think I think the fact that if you watch a whole episode, you would get a sense of what you might have missed on TV this week. And I, I think in that sense, that's kind of a, a level above what you're talking about with these reaction videos. Cause, yeah, because those are out of any context. You don't even know why you're meant to be watching that. Well, it's that just lowest about. common yeah. denominator, isn't it, Mark, where you're kind of looking at something and you're going, well, what's the simplest thing I could do to this? Piss myself laughing at some an idiot falling over. Like, it's kind of, there's no... There's, and it reminds me of this thing, I know Mark's a, a football fan, and, you know, how the word great 
gets banded around in football, but also in other sections of society now, where, where everything's suddenly fucking great. It's like what someone has a kind of 10 good games of football and they're a great player. And it's just the bar seems to keep getting lowered and lowered. I got brought onto a radio show about a year ago and they said, we're joined now by the great Mark Watson. And it was a very weird moment. I felt like I, you should at least be David Attenborough before you get that. <laughs> I understand that, guys. Do you uh, consider maybe because the uh, as I said, our presence in the world now can be so uh, embellished? Like, because, you know, for a lot of people that we know, even in our own lives, without Facebook and social media, you wouldn't know what a lot of people you went to school with were doing with their lives now. You'd have no idea. But mm. you're still keep up with them because people can be allowed to continue a narrative outside of their normal social circles because at your office, like no one cares how cool you were in high school or university, but <laughs> you're able to present that on, on Facebook. So I think maybe it's because of the fact that we've democratized uh, status to the extent whereby everyone says they're entitled to their opinion. Everyone can have a presence on social media. Everyone can portray a certain aesthetic with the use of filters and other images. That isn't necessarily true. So this might be the reason why we now need to use these superlatives that we never used to use unless it was extreme cases. Because it's like there are a shitload of people with podcasts on radios, on TVs and online. And, you know, someone can call themselves Mark Watson online and they can't be challenged for it because there's no real requirement <laughs> uh, for them to be yeah. their identity. So this is why I'm, not, have, I'm normally not challenged for it. Yeah, exactly. So this is the reason why people couldn't just be like, we have to make sure it's the great Mark Watson. Because now I think like, because now I always say it's kind of like, have you seen the film The Incredibles? Mm. Yeah. So there's the speech that um uh what's the guy's name? Oh, the main the main Mr. Incredible, Incredible, the main guy. Syndrome, yeah. So Syndrome is giving a speech where he says, What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sell weapons to both sides and I'm gonna make it so everyone will be a super, then nobody will be. And I feel like that has kind of been the dark side of social media, is that it has armed both sides, whether it's been arming and providing a platform for alt-right rhetoric, but as well as providing a method by which people on the left can also be divided and, and to entertain more hypersensitivity. It's basically on both sides with weapons whereby they can use more extreme methods of combating one another rather than having to observe normal etiquette. I think normally within political discourse, for example, there'd always have to be an element of uh, being a moderate to understanding somebody else. Whereas now, if someone says they're wrong about something, you can be like, you are wrong, 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 the complete opposite of right and there can be no validity in anything you're saying whatsoever, mm. as opposed to yin-yang, where when you look at the image of yin-yang, it's white and black, but there's black within the white and white within the black, which means there's some good within the bad and some bad within the good, and there's a balance. And mm. I think we've kind of lost that to the point where now, so in the speech, Syndrome says, I'm going to make it so everybody's a super, that nobody will be. And I feel like that's kind of what's happened now, is that people, in terms of creativity, we've been able to allow people to create a very... Uh, shallow form of entertainment and the ability to capture people's information for a very short time, which has given the same amount of credence to someone that has a body of work which requires a lot more study. And so because of all of this, in order for us to distinguish ourselves as a creative now, because creativity is so much is so facilitated by technology now, yeah, we have to use words where like, you know, the inimitable Mark Watson, the irre yeah. irreplaceable Mark Watson, the great Mark Watson, I'd quite like irreplaceable. Thank you. That makes me feel better about my eventual death. <laughs> and, you know, because at one point they could be doing Mark Watson filters or Mark Watson mm. masks where <laughs> all the time. So, or maybe, yeah. yeah, so we're living in a time of deep fake and stuff where, you know, it's very easy for people to create a likeness of yourself. So quite right. I could be just somebody using a Mark Watson filter right now. 
and we would never know. Such a good job, and you know, it will be down to the algorithm. So I just, I just think, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's a new way of being able to distinguish yourself and what makes people stand out. And I think I was saying to a friend today as well. I think the next creatives or the next uh, minds that are going to captivate the populace as a as a whole will be someone who knows how to straddle their existence both online and offline. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's going to be the next generation, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's going to have to be a, the the formations of the next collective consciousness will be involving how contextualizing existence on digitally as well as in real life. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. My mates just had a baby the day before yesterday, so I might get him onto that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What a lovely, lovely episode that has been, Dane. He was flown by again. With no doubt whatsoever, it's been a breath of fresh air facilitated by Mark's good questions, as well as his great floral life behind him. (laughs) The extra oxygen was needed, Mark. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been breathing great big gulps of it to do all this talking. Yeah, I can see. I can see. That is an active oxygen-rich brain there. <laughs> um, produce ourselves a great body of work. For those that don't know, Mark, could you please tell our listeners where we can find out some of your more recent and good works? Uh, the best place to find me, after despite everything we said about it, is Twitter at, uh, <laughs> at Watson Comedian. This is a familiar problem that people like me and Dane have. You slag it off all day, and then you think oh, it'd be good <laughs> if more people followed me on Twitter. <laughs> um, I do a podcast. Obviously, no one's ever finished a podcast without saying I've got a podcast as well. It's a sort of on- ongoing cycle of damage, <laughs> and uh, I-, I do one with. Uh, very lovely man called Michael Chakraverty who used to be on the it was on the series of the Bake Off and it's called Menkind it's about masculinity basically we talk to men from different backgrounds about you know what it means to be a man and stuff like that the, the, the good and bad aspects of being a man whatever you however you define it so yeah you might this is very different from this but that's good isn't it you don't want to keep listening I, to I, things I would, love, I'd love to do the, uh, I'd love to do Menkind and um, maybe elaborate more on bad part being that my balls are too sensitive so, oh, that, that is exactly the sort of stuff we want because sometimes it does get a bit heavy I'd love that mate yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also sensitive they're just out there so exposed ah uh, well this is gold save this for, for when you're on and the main thing I would say I've got coming up is this I'm doing a, one of my 24 hour shows in fact as touched upon this one's part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival but on, online so a digital Melbourne Comedy Festival and it's on it goes all the way through Easter Sunday um, and then into sort of Easter Monday so by the time people are listening to this it might be quite soon um we're so going to get this yeah. out. We're going to get this out before before it, so people yeah, can out, check out the show. There you go. So if you come to the end of this and think, I wish it had gone on for 23 more hours, then <laughs> I, I might have a treat for you. But it's online, so it'll always be immortalised. We live in an era of piracy, so if you don't see it the first time, you'll get round to it. Wherever exactly. Can, whether you can immediately monetize that view, Mark, I don't know, but, you know, all in good time. Probably not, but on the other hand, I'm grateful for that people can just walk away and do other things in their houses if they want to. That is probably a, a handy thing about it. A 24-hour show is quite good for this period because you don't have to be there. I'll never know. Very good point. Well, it's been a real joy to have you on the show now, uh, Mark. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. No, it's been great, man. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. Hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Mark Watson. You can follow Mark on Twitter and Instagram at WatsonComedian. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. 
You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.